Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And welcome to our last fiction of 2023 what? um yes uh a reminder this is a once a month thing that we do this is a continuing story we're actually in the second part of a trilogy mm-hmm. um so go listen to to those others if you haven't because yes this is the sequel to terminus i'm just calling it terminus part two but the original name was big things start small just so you know <laughs> Um, <laughs> I thought it would be confusing, so I just—I <laughs> love it. Yes, uh, this was a NaNoWriMo story. All of these were, uh, so uh, there is minimal editing, uh, and I kind of like examining where my mind was then because I wrote these. <laughs> this was in 2011. I would have been writing this one, and also just like shout out to Christina. She does all of the sound effects. These are mm-hmm. heavier lifts for her. Mm-hmm. So just always want to call that out. Magic maker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every time I listen to them, I'm like, listen good. to that wind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she should keep this job. Keep the day yes. job. So, yes. I, I was trying to make, okay, never mind. I ruined it. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Christina. We love you, Christina. That's what we're saying. Don't ever leave. Please was don't that leave. Thing? Um, was the question? <laughs> answering right there. We are working on getting all of these together in a playlist so they're Please. more easily found. So keep an ear out, eye out for that. This is a bit of what I would call a slower, more introspective chapter. That being said, when I read it, it's intense, like emotionally. <laughs> so that being said, uh, content warning for discussion of hunger, disease, needles and vaccine stuff. There's a dissociation scene that I forgot about. No. There's discussion of sexual assault that isn't explicit, but is kind of emotional. Um, Mentions of weight loss, internalized ableism. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of a, like, confronting the emotions of what happened scene. 
that happens in here. Okay. Yep. Uh, so, uh, recap. Uh, this is an Earth, a world where there's a disease that makes it very difficult for people to get pregnant. Humanity is dying off. Uh, and it's not good. It's not pretty. It's all of your dystopian end of the world things. Um, and there is the, in the United States, what was the United States? There is the government called the state, but they work closely alongside a religious organization called ARM. And our main characters, Tilda and her son, Madison, have been on the run from them because she illegally had a child in this world where they very much monitor how you have children. And they were finally captured at the end of the first one. It's revealed that the leaders of ARM are the grandparents of Madison um, and that they destroyed all the vaccines and pretty much caused the virus uh, for population control. And uh, they give the vaccine to Madison. Tilda is able to escape with him after broadcasting out on their kind of what remains of the national broadcast system that they had a vaccine, they destroyed it, but there is a vaccine. They escape, and now, as the second one opens, it's dire circumstances. It's winter, they have no food, the clothes are bare, like it's not looking good. And there's a fellow on a horse that's following them, and they can't figure it out. A fellow uh, on a horse. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Samantha, fellow on a horse. Um, <laughs> But that's where we are. They have found an abandoned cabin in this forest, and they they stay there the night. They're trying to warm up and figure out what they're going to do next. So that's where we are. Let us get in to chapter two. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands. 
not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. When Tilda next awoke, cool, blue light once again filtered through the window. She could hear the sounds of slush sliding off branches. She blinked her grainy eyelids, looking down to Madison, who had at some point in the night cuddled entirely under the blanket, hidden from view. She peeled the handmade coverlet back carefully. Madison flinched at the exposure to cold air, turning his face instinctively into the cushion with a quiet mewing sound. His face was still garishly pale, but some of the color had returned to his lips. She moved aside some of his hair, long now that she'd had a little chance to cut it since DC to check his ears. A sigh of relief escaped her lips when they weren't black. Madison turned back towards her, blinking owlishly, his hair sticking out in all directions and clearly disoriented. How are you feeling? She asked. He rubbed at his eyes. Better. Warmer. Tilda took a moment to assess her own body and how it was handling the rewarming process. She flexed her fingers and wriggled her toes, the rush of blood of making them tingle. She stretched her neck, her arms, her calves, all of which felt slow and sore. Her ears and nose were still cold to the touch. An inspection of Madison's revealed that his were as well. Her throat burned and her back ached. Her lungs felt icy. But overall... She felt much improved. With deliberation, she extracted herself from the warmth of the blanket, every sore muscle making itself known as she scooted toward the edge of the couch and swung her legs off the side, her toes twitching at the contact with the cold wooden floor that she could feel even through her warm padded socks. Feeling old, she took a deep breath, preparing to stand as one preparing to perform a very complicated stunt. She hoisted herself up, almost losing her balance and falling back onto the couch. She straightened slowly, her lower back throbbing in protest. She took a deep breath and then a step forward, careful of all of the clothes they'd shed last night, the fabric stiff, dried, and odd shapes. A precursory glance around the room in the light informed a very different space than what it had been at night. Above the fireplace was a TV, wide and flat, tables with pictures and books, portraits of snow-capped mountains and woods on the walls. In stark contrast to the paneling outside, the wood within was warm and brown. As one stepping on broken glass, Tilda continued her tottering exploration of the cabin, her gaze meandering from item to item, taking stock of anything with potential further use, fuzzy images forming of the types of people who had once stayed here. Tilda shuffled first into the kitchen, hoping to find some canned foods. Out of curiosity, she opened the refrigerator, unsurprised to find no food, grateful for nothing spoiled at the very least. She then started the painful process of alternately bending and reaching to investigate the innards of the cabinets. Apart from a package of uncooked angel-haired pasta, a package of mac and cheese, and a box of muffin mix, she found only pots and pans. Frustrated despite anticipating this, Tilda contemplated ways they could cook the pasta as she left the kitchen and turned down the hallway, her muscles finally warming up a bit as she moved. 
The hallway closet revealed a plethora of pillows and blankets. She tossed a comfy-looking blue and white comforter to Madison, who surveyed her progress sleepily from the couch. Next to the closet was a bathroom, whites and purples and very clean, empty save for an extra pack of toilet paper and towels in all sizes that matched the round mat on the floor. The two doors opposite each other at the end of the hallway were two small bedrooms, one with a forest green palette, the other orange and burgundy. A quick search of the dressers and nightstands in each room produced only a Bible. She followed the hallway back to the front door and turned to go up the steps, leaning heavily on the railing as she climbed to the second floor, spots dancing in her vision. Upstairs were three bunk beds with scratchy-looking blankets and nothing else. Out of breath, Tilda paused for a moment, surveying the living room where they'd spent their night. Madison had pulled his knees to his chest, practically swallowed by the comforter Tilda had tossed to him. He watched her silently, a forlorn creature in his nest. The second story was open. There was no wall or railing along the side. She longed to take a break from her search and sit and hang her legs off of it, but the difficulty posed by getting back up stopped her. That, and she imagined Madison, was hungry, if her own stomach was any indication. What she'd give for something warm to eat, she thought, as she unceremoniously made her way back down the stairs, her knees wobbling. She once again tried to come up with some way to boil water for the noodles, but thanks to the man on horseback, she didn't consider starting a fire an option. And unless she could figure a way to flip the power back on, and she highly doubted she could... Then the stove and oven were out of the picture as well. At the foot of the stairs, she took a deep breath, shutting her eyes and dredging up the will to return to the living area. She collapsed into the love seat and sat back for a moment, dizzy and weak. Biting back a groan of frustration at her body for being so easily winded, she leaned forward and slid the backpack to rest at her feet, yanking open the middle pocket. Can we make a fire? Madison posed tentatively, already suspecting the answer. Tilda shook her head, and his face fell. Too dangerous. The man we saw on the horse yesterday might see the smoke. Madison accepted her response with a solemn nod. You want something to eat? I've got protein bars, granola, trail mix. Trail mix. Madison responded after several long seconds of silence, holding out a small hand. Tilda fished out a bag of trail mix and passed it to him, grabbing a protein bar for herself. Though they left much to be desired in taste, they at least weren't as rock hard as the granola bars and the protein and carbs gave her an energy boost, too. She also pulled out two more waters to go along with their breakfast. They munched slowly, in silence, well aware of the importance of eating slowly to abate the hunger, to give the illusion of eating more, and to give their stomachs time to fill up, such as it was. I miss pancakes, Madison ventured quietly, staring at the bag of trail mix as though he could replace it with pancakes, if he only concentrated hard enough. Did you eat those a lot growing up? Tilda chewed, remembering a life that felt surreal now. No, not really. Madison was quiet for a second, taking a tiny bite out of a raisin. I wonder how Lynn is doing. They were broaching the subject Tilda had been unwilling to broach last night, though Madison was taking the long way there. Madison would only meet her gaze momentarily, his eyes darting away the second they met hers, staring at the packet of trail mix, watching her through his eyelashes. 
She wondered if he felt guilty bringing Lynn up. Reading. I bet she's reading. What do you think? Madison bit his lip. Cooking. That drew an involuntary snort out of Tilda that made her almost immediately feel guilty. You're probably right, she conceded. You don't think she got in trouble with the enforcers, do you? Tilda took another bite out of her protein bar, willing herself to relax into the back of the chair. I'm sure Lynn is fine. She's a smart lady to avoid them for all these years. Madison looked down. But she helped us. Tilda finished her bar, regarding the packaging desolately before crumpling it up in her fist and wiping the crumbs from the front of her shirt. I know, she agreed quietly, but she knows how to hide things. She was pregnant herself and the state didn't know it. Madison nodded reluctantly, sipping at his water. Tilda glanced out the window. Snow still covered the ground, but the sun was out for the first time in days. Water dripped from the trees as the ice melted. So, that needle... Tilda swiveled her neck back to Madison at the preface of a question. To so many questions. The one they stuck me with. It was a... a vaccine. Yes. It means you can't get the disease that I have. That most people have. I can't? No. I think, she added mentally. You're immune. You won't get it. Madison processed this for a moment, chewing on his lip. And there was only one more. Yes. For everybody. Yes. But if the right people find it, then they can study it and make more. Like the guy that, the guy that told us about the train. The guy that I killed, Tilda filled in for him silently. Yes. Like him. What if no one can figure it out? What if I'm the only one who will be immune? Madison's words ran together in a barely contained panic. Leaning forward, Tilda said in the firmest voice she could muster, You won't be. But how do you know? His eyes were filled with tears. If they did it before, they can do it again. And now everyone knows that it has been done and can be done. It's amazing what a little hope can do. Green eyes looked away from her, desperate to believe her. Does everyone know? He whispered. Does everyone know I'm immune? Frowning, Tilda answered truthfully. She didn't know. But those people, the ones who said I was their grandson, he fumbled over the word, having little occasion to use it. They probably told everyone. Does that scare you? The look Madison gave her told her emphatically that yes, of course it did. What if they can't figure out how to make another vaccine and they come after me so they can study me? Tilda had considered the possibility but was surprised that Madison had, though she shouldn't have been. He was a very intelligent child. The man on the horse, he could have been one of them, Madison continued. Then we do what we've always done, Tilda said, barely able to keep her voice free of sadness and weariness as she said it. But Madison broke off, his face growing up. We could have died. I thought we were going to freeze to death. 
Matilda bowed her head, ashamed at the truth of this. But we didn't, Mouse. We're okay. But we can't stay here, Madison pointed out. Tilda felt like she was having a conversation with an adult as opposed to an eight-year-old child. And what if it happens again while we're, we're out there, but we don't find a place to stay, or food, or water? We'll figure it out. We'll be more careful. Her answer sounded hollow in her own ears. My, the people who say they're my grandparents, they won't stop looking, will they? Madison looked at her, deep into her eyes. No. Tilda murmured. I don't think they will. And all those people, he trailed off, and Tilda realized he had never seen so many people. It had been a long time since she had either. They were fighting. Tilda nodded. The others were going to D.C. to look for the vaccine. Because of what you said. Another nod. Madison looked down, forehead crinkled. Then... If I can help them, by studying me, they can make more medicine. Shouldn't, shouldn't I help them? Tilda blinked, blindsided by this. She'd not been expecting it. The thought had never occurred to her, so strong was her first priority of keeping Madison safe. What did that say about her? Flinching, unprepared for this moment of introspection, Tilda muttered, They have a vaccine. They'll find a way to make more. Madison did not look convinced by this answer. Dust floated in the cool light streaming through the window. Tilda stared at all of the particles, feeling as spread out and disconnected as the particles drifting in the room. I don't understand, Madison admitted, a low concession barely above a whisper. What don't you understand? Madison twisted his fingers, refusing to meet her gaze. Why did they destroy all the vaccines if it would have helped, helped people? Tilda understood this, but not intimately. It was a foreign concept that she understood, but only intellectually. They wanted... She broke off, licking her lips, not wanting to have to explain this to her son. Not knowing the words, not knowing how. They were afraid she settled on. They were afraid of what it would mean to get everyone a vaccine, of losing power, and of what everyone would do when they found out. She swallowed, took a deep breath. When they found out that they had caused HSV, the disease. It was the truth if a poorly articulated one. Madison mulled this over for a moment. But why'd they cause it? As strange as this sounds, Mouse, there used to be too many people. Madison gasped aloud. Too many people, he parroted. Despite the subject matter, the corner of Tilda's lips twitched. Yes, there was a time when people were worried about overpopulation, that the size of our population was too big, and that we didn't have enough food or space for everyone. So a group of people... They were trying to fix that. They were trying to fix things by making it so people couldn't have babies? Madison demanded, aghast. Yes. They didn't know it was going to keep people, or at least everyone, from having babies. But, Madison spluttered, didn't they 
test it? I don't know, she admitted. Madison held her gaze, trying to understand. He gave a tiny sigh, frustrated. The crinkling of the trail mix wrapper as Madison fiddled with it in his lap sounded strangely loud. If those people were my grandparents, Madison began slowly, staring now at the fireplace. Then their son was my father. Tilda's stomach clenched. In a way, she was grateful Madison was bringing up these questions instead of her having to initiate. But hearing them, these adult questions in the tiny child's voice, made her feel irresponsible and ashamed. As though she were a child caught sneaking in at night, and he was the worried and disappointed parent. Keeping her tone as neutral as possible, she said, Yes. Madison processed that for a minute. Okay. His voice broke. Tilda lifted her eyes to his face, dismayed to see the tears silently streaming down it. Momentarily frozen in place, she watched him despondently hug his knees to his chest and bury his face in them, the white comforter sliding halfway to the floor. Fighting the urge to follow suit, she rose, her body creaky like an old tree, and approached him cautiously. She wasn't sure what had upset him. For all she knew, he was disgusted with her. As gracefully as she could, when she felt like all of her bones were brittle and could easily snap, she lowered herself onto the couch next to him, a wall of blanket between them. She swallowed, watching, struggling to find the most basic words. What's wrong? Madison hunched his shoulders, sniffling. The need to comfort him overwhelmed her fear of his reaction and she reached out, putting a hand on his back. Talk to me, sweetie. He gave a quiet sob. If they're family. His voice was so soft, she had to lean forward and hang on to every word. If they're family, how could they do that? They were going to kill you. Madison didn't know any family outside of Tilda. All he knew was a mother, a mother whose primary concern was her son's survival. He didn't know grandparents or cousins or fathers. In his mind, he'd created a fairy tale version of what a family must be. A caring group of people that loved you in spite of everything, who were there for you when you needed them no matter what, who laughed with each other and protected each other. She knew he thought this. She'd caught glimpses of it before, his face after reading or hearing a story about unconditional familial love, or even just a family that was clearly loving. Even if their relationship was not the focus of the story, little things he'd say that Tilda was never sure how to respond to, his innocent drawings and descriptions of what his family must be like. She'd allowed him this because she'd never imagined she'd meet the father or his parents, nor had she known the identities of his paternal grandparents, and her own did not fit into Madison's loving family mold. And she hadn't had the heart to tell him that this wasn't always the case. Tilda had never imagined that his carefully constructed image would be so violently destroyed, and by his own family. By shielding him, Tilda had only allowed more and maybe even irreparable damage to be done. Sometimes family members do stupid things to the ones they're supposed to love. They were scared too, Mouse. They didn't know where you'd been or if you were safe. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know who I was either. Madison cried out. No. But they knew you were a child and that you were their grandson. 
and that you'd been kidnapped. Madison made a vehement sound of disagreement that drew a grin out of Tilda. In their eyes, you'd been kidnapped, and I'm not their family, Madison. You are. They don't see me as family. But aren't you? Madison raised his head, eyeing her confusedly. Isn't that how it works? Tilda ran a hand through his hair, feeling somehow that Madison was making her into something better. He was pushing her and challenging her and growing her and building her. Not always. She paused, searching for the best way to explain. The father... I didn't see him again, after you. So we didn't become family. Madison scrunched up his nose at this, and she knew he was trying to reconcile that with all he'd pieced together from stories about the makeup of families. But if I'm family, he conceded, his voice suggesting that in his mind this was a stretch, then wouldn't they know that hurting you would hurt me? They thought they were doing what was best for you, protecting you. Tilda never imagined she'd be defending Aaron and Darla Delane to her son. But they weren't, Madison stated conclusively, wiping at his nose. Adults have this saying, for the greater good. Tilda wiped a tear from his cheek. His face was still cold. It means that sometimes you do something you don't like because it'll be better for everyone. Madison shook his head. But they were doing what was best for them, what they wanted. Tilda couldn't argue that point. Or at least she had very little desire to. Why'd my father leave? The question was like a draft of particularly chilly air. Tilda imagined she could feel her skin pimpling with goosebumps and the hair raising on the back of her neck. Because he didn't know I was pregnant with you. And he'd done a bad thing. Bad thing? He broke the law. They were entering treacherous territory now, territory Tilda desperately wanted to get out of. She tried to preempt any further questions with, He broke the law, and he was scared, so he ran away. Madison watched her intently for a second. It was all Tilda could do not to shrink away. How'd he break the law? The state doesn't want you to do anything that might cause you to get HSV-5 without giving yourself the best chances of having a baby, since there are so few of us left. Was it time to have the sex talk, she thought, almost laughing aloud in semi-hysteria. He did it anyway? Madison asked, a seriousness unsuited for his young face painting his features. Tilda nodded, throat dry. Why? Tilda had really hoped he wouldn't ask. That very question ran circles around her brain at night, keeping her awake. Even though she knew the answer, it gave her no comfort. It made her feel even more helpless, worthless, like a thing to be used and discarded and forgot. She opened her mouth to answer, but then closed it with a click. Madison waited patiently. Sometimes Tilda thought their relationship lived in the silences they shared. He wanted to feel in control, to feel powerful. She tried haltingly. Madison mouthed the word powerful. It takes two people to make a baby. I didn't want to, and he did. As soon as the words left her lips, she wanted to take them back. You didn't want to? 
No. I knew it was against the law. We never really met before. Most people want to have a baby with someone they know. Um, someone they trust. Her voice cracked. To her shock, tears leaked past her own eyes, unbidden. Now she was the one crying. With a shaky breath, she finished. With someone you trust. Wide green eyes studied her as she fought to regain control. So he hurt you, he asked, sounding so, so small. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Tilda's chest felt tight, her face uncomfortably hot. A long beat passed, and that made him feel powerful. To hurt someone else? Yes. But Madison broke off, not able to articulate his confusion at this. My dad, he said the moniker with distaste, is bad, a bad person. He posed the question miserably, hoping her answer would be no. Tilda knew he must be clinging to the shreds of the image he'd created and fostered for years of what his family must be. He did a bad thing. I didn't know him well. I can't say he's bad. All I can say is he did a bad thing. Maybe he feels bad for it. The watery explanation was insubstantial at best and possibly severely damaging at worst. But Tilda could think of nothing else to add. She felt a tiredness now that had nothing to do with the aching in her bones or the lack of food. She stared forward blankly, her mind in a quiet turmoil. She jumped badly when Madison laid his head in her lap. Robotically, without thought, she started stroking his matted hair, vaguely and rather ridiculously wondering if she could find some scissors to cut it, and nail clippers, and a whole host of other things to distract her from the yawning agony raging inside her, hungry and eager. They both succumbed to the silence that had been encroaching, not so much washing over them as flooding over them, crushing with the weight of all that they had talked about. She and Madison often did this when they had little food or water, when the elements racked their starved and exhausted bodies and they could find no shelter. Sat still, quiet, shutting down to preserve energy. For hours, they'd play statues, thinking nothing, being nothing, until one of them took a deep, gasping breath as though emerging from water, gulping life-giving oxygen, and moved again. But this time, it was not dehydration or starvation that paralyzed them in a hibernation state, but the darkness of the world around them, the uncertainty of what lay ahead. Tilda was the first to emerge after an indeterminate amount of time had passed, feeling like she had emerged from a deep sleep absent of dreams. She blinked, Slowly, a small eternity of darkness each time, her breath reedy and wispy like the flame of a candle in a breezy night. Carefully, she placed a hand on each of Madison's temples, lifting his head and laying it back down on the cushion after she'd scooted out from underneath. His eyes were open, but glassy, unseeing. Tilda stretched, trying to keep the gnawing fear at bay. Would it never end? Would they always be on the run, always starving and cold and tired and thirsty and never knowing? Was there no future for them outside of surviving the next moment? Tilda shoved those thoughts away. 
She was close enough to shattering without giving them voice. She could feel them in her blood, in her heart, pumping through her veins to various body parts, to her brain and her fingers and shoulders. They are part of her, and dwelling on it didn't help. She moved through the room without purpose, flipping through magazines, eyeing thin, smiling cover models and their perfect skin and their perfect hair with an odd mix of nostalgic pity. To think how obsessed people used to be about being thin, how worried about their appearance. She looked at clothes with numbers next to them, prices that were now meaningless, beauty tips. As for perfume and watches and things that meant nothing now. Recipes that promised weight loss with little effort. The pictures making her mouth water. Tilda laughed in quiet disbelief at the sex tips, the sheer number of them. Pregnancy prevention. All the letters to the editor about significant others leaving out the dishes or gossiping or asking for advice about how to approach a crush. The answer almost always some convoluted thing that at its essence was communication. What the hell is a beach body? Tilda thought, wondering at all the aspects of a life lost, now archaic. There were some books on the nightstand, most of them about hiking, but a few that looked to be mysteries. One cookbook, Tilda pushed away regretfully, knowing it would only make the aching in her stomach all that much worse. She meandered back to the bathroom, opening the drawers once again and finding nothing. Then she checked the medicine cabinet and found one thing she was searching for nail clippers. Pocketing them in her jeans, she traced her steps back to the kitchen, opening the drawers until she found the utensils. And along with them, the second item she'd been searching for. Scissors. Originally intended for meat, but they were going to be repurposed for hair. They were a little dull, bigger than what she'd prefer, but they'd have to do. Maybe she'd let Madison trim her hair. It's not like she was trying to impress anyway, and the way her arms and shoulders felt, she didn't much fancy the idea of holding them up in awkward, uncomfortable positions as she cut her own hair. On a whim, she switched on the faucet, but of course, no water came out. Tilda backtracked to the bathroom, closing the toilet seat and lowering herself onto it, starting the process of clipping her nails with careful detachment. Her hands were shaking, still weak. She stared at the dirt pressed underneath the hard, translucent nails, Grit and blood blackened with age. Her fingers were bruised and blistered and scarred, a map of her past. She cataloged the number, but she had no memory of the origins of most of them. This life came with physical evidence of the hardship of surviving it. She could feel the sores on her face, dry in the cold. She focused on the pain of cutting her nails, using it to anger her as she thought now about her original plan to return home, to see her parents. After the chaos in D.C., she thought maybe everyone would be too busy to care much about her and Madison, but now that seemed quite unlikely. Even Madison was worried about those that might be pursuing them. But she wanted so badly to see them again. In truth, she could barely picture her mother's face or remember the sound of her father's voice. She was tired of being the one who had to answer questions that had no good answers, who was supposed to know, who was supposed to decide, of being responsible for another person's life when the world was dying. Blood welled under her thumb when she cut too close to the skin. She watched it, dark red staining, bruised and purple dappled white. Not bothering to clean it or attempt to stop it from bleeding, she took care of the rest of her nails. Then she removed her socks, blankly taking in mottled feet, splotched with purple, red and black hues, 
her toes a garish black red underneath the nails. She trimmed them down, already relishing the lack of pain caused by them jamming against the front of her boots. Each nail took some force, thicker than the coverings of her fingers, and sent a small thrill of pain racing through each toe. She thought back to the magazine she'd flipped through, and the nails of bright oranges and pinks. When she next looked up, Madison stood in the doorway, arms crossed tightly over his torso, watching her fretfully. His eyes strayed to the blood. She stood, gesturing for him to take the spot she'd just vacated. He did so, eyeing her almost suspiciously. Tilda held out her hand, and he reluctantly placed his in it. Gently, much more carefully than she'd been with herself, she clipped his nails. He did not have as much dirt packed underneath, nor did he have all the scars and calluses decorating his hands, but there were beginnings. She traced an ugly cut on the inside of his pinky delicately. Madison regarded her, his face painfully open, always tried to make sense of her, to read her like a book, pinpoint her motivations. Tilda finished one bird-like hand and then another, drawing no blood. She admired her handiwork for a moment, then tugged off his socks, drawing a small sound of protest from him, and started in on his toenails, blackened and rough as well. She worked diligently, taking her time. When she was finished, she slid the woolly socks back onto tiny feet and placed the clippers on the immaculately white countertop next to the sink, taking up the scissors. Madison sighed, accepting but wary. She reached up for a comb and a cup next to the sink and ran it gingerly through his mousy brown hair, grinning at the annoyed twist of his features. It took several tries and some finesse to work the mats out of his hair, tiny twigs and bits of leaves and dirt falling to the floor. Using the comb, she pulled his hair taut and started snipping away, taking a little over an inch that ended in frizzy split ends. She took her time, appreciating the simplicity of doing something with tangible results. She worked her way around his head, locks of hair floating to the tile. Madison sat still as Tilda maneuvered into better positions and angles. She ran the comb through, taking care of any unevenness the best she could. Madison sneezed, itching at his face. Tilda dusted off the locks of hair from his shoulder and his back and admired her handiwork. With shorter hair, Madison looked even younger. Without a word, she handed him the scissors, handle first, and patted him gently on the back, indicating for him to get up. They switched positions, Madison standing before her, the scissors clutched in his hands, inquisitiveness and apprehension on his face. He'd never cut Tilda's hair before. Tilda yanked a comb through her hair, wincing at all the tangles, all the bits of dry leaves itching at the back of her neck. After she was satisfied, Tilda gave Madison an encouraging smile, and Madison's shoulders relaxed the tiniest bit. With more concentration than the situation warranted, the child approached, determined to do a good job and give her a good haircut. Tilda almost laughed at the ridiculousness of her son giving her a haircut in a dystopian world, one she'd read about in many novels when she was growing up. In all the books she'd read about the end of civilization, they'd never gone into the details of haircuts or of nails, teeth. Tilda supposed that'd be boring. Before HSV-5 had spread, had slowly and steadily cut their numbers down, stripped their civilization and their hope, made clear that extinction was not only a possibility, but an extremely probable one, authors had indulged in an obsession with the end of the world. Book after book, Tilda consumed, painted bleak landscapes and hopeless populations. She wondered if any of those authors had lived to see the beginnings of the things they'd previously only imagined and wrote about what they think about the reality versus the world they visualized in their mind and shared in pages. How did they compare? 
Were there any authors writing now? Would there ever be again? And now that the end of the world was here, as boring and cruelly slow as it was, what would they write about? Snip. Tilda hadn't specified a length. She just wanted to see what Madison came up with if she left him to his own devices. Judging by the look of blonde hair floating to the floor, he was going to take off quite a bit. Madison worked in silence, mimicking her actions. He pulled her hair taut, working on the top layer and then a bottom layer. Cutting her hair had particular challenges that Madison's did not. It was thicker and longer, and there was nothing to pin it back. He worked diligently, biting his lip in concentration. More and more blonde littered the floor, one side of her head feeling lighter and lighter until he repositioned so he was behind her, tilting her head forward gently as he started working on the back. Bits of hair tickled at her neck and her back as they slipped into her collar. Madison kept reevaluating, comparing links, trying to match. Tilda wanted to tell him that it didn't matter, but the idea of talking seemed incredibly insurmountable at the moment. Madison darted across her field of vision and to her other side, snipping away. He'd lost some of the care he'd shown in the beginning, the novelty of it wearing off. But still, he took his time. Tilda's head felt lighter and lighter until he stepped back with a sigh, tentative, awaiting her judgment. She ran her fingers through her hair, running her thumb along the ends. Giving Madison a reassuring smile, she hoisted herself up and turned to look in the mirror. He'd cut off a substantial amount so that the longest sections of hair fell just below her shoulders, the shortest just under her chin. It was messy and uneven, not that she was worried about the aesthetics. Utility was the key here. Any chance she had at being cute was undermined by the gauntness of her face, the stark pale and purple hues, the sores. She wondered if the sores would ever become fashionable. She'd run across some odd fashions in the history books she'd read. You did a good job, she assured the child, watching with anticipation, breaking the silence that had engulfed them. Thank you. He didn't relax, but jerkily handed her the scissors, a passing of the baton. Tilda took them. They were warm from Madison's hands. She placed them on the counter, debating briefly if they should clean up the hair and then deciding that they should, if only in case someone else discovered the cabin or they had to make a quick getaway. She didn't want to leave any obvious evidence of their presences and indicators of who they were. Tilda patted Madison on the head. She fetched a broom she remembered seeing from the hallway closet when she'd grabbed the comforter from there earlier and returned to the bathroom, Madison still standing at where she'd left him. He hopped away when she wordlessly began sweeping around his feet. Once she swept all the hair into a manageable pile, she popped off the handle attachment, knelt down, and swept the hair up, dumping it in a trash can after a momentary pause. She came to the decision to empty the bin outside so birds could use it to make nests and the wind could disperse their strands of hair throughout the forest. Now that those mundane and oddly domestic tasks were out of the way, what were they to do? In Tilda's mind, they needed another day to recover before they braved the outdoors again, but food-wise, they didn't have the option of lingering more than that. Tilda thought back to the selection of bows and arrows behind the counter at one of the camping stores they'd passed when they first entered the woods. She'd toyed with picking one of them up at the time, but apart from having very little experience with shooting them, she deemed it too cumbersome to carry for long distances. But now, well, perhaps she'd have to teach herself. She imagined much of the prepackaged and canned food supply that remained must be dwindling. Soon they'd have to hunt. If they could find a secluded place to settle down, then they could grow food, too. 
Tilda didn't know much in the way of gardening, but her mother had tended a garden and imparted some of her knowledge to Tilda, and Tilda had gleaned from observing others. But the only area secluded enough for Tilda to feel safe in their settling down would be up in the cold Appalachian Mountains or in the Midwest. Maybe it was time to start considering those options seriously. She recalled Lynn's words and recognized the truth in them. They couldn't go on as they had been for much longer. Now that Madison had been immunized with the vaccine and with the state in turmoil, perhaps they could pass beyond the clutches of enforcers and find somewhere to call home. In that case, heading south to see her parents seemed incredibly foolish. But with winter already upon them, escaping the worst of the cold was a necessity. All these thoughts tumbled around Tilda's head as she headed to the back door at the end of the hallway to empty the bin. She twisted the deadbolt. The door whined as she opened it, a blast of cold immediately assaulting her. Shivering, she leaned as far as she could out the doorway without stepping out and upturned at the bin, the locks of hair drifting in the gentle breeze, falling and getting caught in the draft that elevated them again. A sudden gust of wind sent them buffeting north to Tilda's right, and Tilda caught sight of something she hadn't seen in a long time. A generator. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And that brings us to the end of the second chapter of the second part of Terminus. I do find it funny once again 
The Last of Us had not come out yet. <laughs> and this is quite comical at this point for me reading this. I did find it funny. There's a whole thing about generators finding a generator. That is such a big trope in horror video games. Oh, uh, yeah. You find the generator and then you start it and then all the zombies hear it. And of course. Of towards course. you. So it's like, what are you going to do? Oh, you got to weigh your dangers here. Um, also, just a quick note... As I said, this is, for me, interesting to look back on because I had just come out of college when I wrote this and just what I was thinking about when I wrote this uh, is interesting to me. The There is a pretty intense section where uh, they discuss sexual assault in this one. It doesn't necessarily reflect my own thoughts. I think it's it's interesting to read it now. Um, I, I don't think she's wrong necessarily. I just think it's interesting. She's clearly still processing a lot of stuff, which I probably was too at that time. Yeah. And I do think it's it's more complicated to talk about than some people think, especially people who've never been through it. But uh, I don't know. I, I had forgotten that that was in here. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but... Just to say, please don't find this as prescriptive. Uh, she's not in a good place. I don't think what she's saying is horrible at all. I'm just saying she is still processing. <laughs> good to know. Yeah, yeah. Because I've gotten comments about that in fan fiction before where they're like, this isn't the healthiest behavior. And I'm like, I know that. If I get why you was said healthy, it. <laughs> it wouldn't be like entertaining and or right. Right. Like it's a good arc. it's a good point to know, but it's also like I hope you know I don't think that's right. Healthy. Right. But it's also sometimes people don't know that. So anyway, I'm yes. putting the note at the end of this that I know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but I do hope that you're enjoying this, listeners. Um, we do enjoy doing them. And as always, if you have a suggestion for something in the public domain we could do that's in this realm, we would love to do it. Of course, it is a bigger lift, so we have to give a runway for our magician, Christina. But we do love to do it. So let us know. Uh, you can email us at Stephanie and MomStuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Uh, we have a tea public store and a book. Yes. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'll Never Told You is a production by iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. 
Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions.